Welcome to the iHealth Podcast, a podcast for you to relate to like-minded individuals discussing hot topics all related to rehab, fitness, and business. Brought to you by Iron Health from Westchester, New York. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in for this episode. This is a really special episode here. We have Arash from the Prehab Guys coming to chat with us. This was really an awesome episode for me to kind of talk through. Our conversations are great. The Prehab Guys are really front runners here as we start to see a shift in physical therapy and how people start to manage themselves and their body even before injury happens. So we have a lot of golden nuggets here. We dive into physical therapy school, the state of physical therapy, and also what is prehab and how the prehab guys launched. Let me know what you think. I hope you enjoy it. Your steps, your journey to doing that. Yeah. Uh, so um, for how I got into PT, actually, my, my mom is a PT and nice. growing up, she always pushed me towards going down the medical route. However, uh, my dad pushed me towards going through the engineering route. So I was always, I was always torn between the two. And after I sustained a uh, ankle injury, it was my deltoid ligaments on the medial aspect of my ankle, which I completely ruptured um, playing college soccer, uh, really forced me to reflect on what I'm doing with my life and where I want to go. And after going through the rehab process myself, I kind of decided that going through the medical route was more designed for me. And uh, based on the nature of what PTs do from blending both sports and science together, I just loved it. And uh, from there, I went to San Diego State. And then I got my doctorate of PT degree from University of California. And at USC is where I met my business partners, Mike and Craig who us three came together to uh, create the prehab guys. And so that's where that got created. And then from there, now we split our time with clinic work. And then the other times, the other days of the week, we're focusing on uh, online content and creation. Very cool. So you were a college soccer player. What, what year did you get hurt? Did you get hurt early in, your, in that career or kind of yeah. towards the end? So I played one year at Cal Poly, which is where I thought I was going to be the, this engineer. And then I realized I'm over here reading health and fitness magazines while everyone else in the classes are reading engineering magazines. So that's, that's where I kind of realized that I, I wasn't necessarily going down the right path career wise. Uh, and so second year I transferred over to Irvine Valley college and Saddleback, both community colleges in Orange County, California, and that's where I ended up getting injured. So it was my second year. And that's also at the same time where I started going into um, playing semi-pro. And so it was a little bit of both. It was actually the college. It was the, it was the championship game of my second year uh, of college that I ended up hurting myself. It was, it was a really bad injury. I tried, to, I tried to get back in and play it. There was no chance. Mm. Did you need surgery or no? No, I actually let things heal conservatively. I had some injections. This is before I knew much about rehab or, or PT at all. So 
I honestly don't even know. I think there were some prolo injections given. I'm not exactly sure what I even went through, uh, but there was no operations. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting because, like, you know, I talked to so many people and a lot of them have a similar story of how they got into either becoming a, like a surgeon or a PT. It's, you know, it stems from a lot of injury, which is kind of an interesting thing when you really think about it, right? Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's a very common story. People usually have to go through the process to see what it's really like to fall in love with the process. Mm-hmm. What did you like about your therapist? Because because I have a similar story too. You know, I got hurt, and I just love my therapist, and that's what pushed me over the edge. What did What did you take yeah. away from that initial? So uh, the, I guess what really wowed me was not that not the piece in terms of getting me back to getting to high level activities again and their whole rehab prehab to even getting touching into performance but i think the personal aspect of it and feeling like this person cared for me and the way i felt on the other side of the end was very um very much enticed me to to push to become what that person was to me because I knew the value add that that person had in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that personal piece was a piece that I was very unaware of prior to uh, my, my passion for the field. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so true. It's, it's, uh, it's extremely personal, right? Like you, you start to develop a relationship with those people who help you and, like for me, it's bringing someone from that state, like yourself, where you could probably barely walk to kind of running and jumping again, right? That's yeah. extremely rewarding, which is amazing. Yeah, I mean, no one spends as much time in the healthcare field with their patients as much as physical therapists do. And so if there's anyone that can get into the psyche or the mindset of uh, an individual within the healthcare field, it's definitely going to be the physical therapist. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a good way for us to segue into kind of PT school in general and just dive in on what do you think your thoughts around PT school and your pros and cons of your specific school mm. um, and what you liked and what you, what you didn't like. And, and for anyone listening who wants to kind of become a PT, you know, this is this can be a lot of knowledge base for them, you know? Yeah. So anyone that wants to go to PT school, I, I guess the first thing I would I would even recommend is make sure that PT is the field that you want to go into. There are plenty of people I know that never really volunteered much going into PT school and therefore don't really understand what the field is about. Uh, So I'd say step one before anyone really wants to even go in, make sure you get that experience um, and truly understanding what PT is about. Then within PT school, so I loved it. Uh, I'm obsessed with learning. So the amount of information even if it was a field in which I knew I wasn't going to be practicing in, I ate up just because I'm, I'm obsessed with learning. So mm-hmm. I, I loved it in terms of um, the both the didactic and the clinical aspect of it. The biggest pro for why I end up choosing, choosing USC is because of the amount of clinical experience that was tied into the curriculum. We had almost a full year of going out and getting that hands-on experience, which is what I knew I wanted. So that way I could be as, um, as good of a clinician as I could be given those three years. 
Uh, so I, I really like that component of it. Um, the con, I would say, and the con here is probably the con of a lot of other PT schools is honestly the lack of education with exercises, with movements, progressions, regressions, and just to give people the database of exercises in which they need to choose from. I think the thought with that is if you teach anatomy and biomechanics and analytical anatomy, these subjects will help you to figure out what movements the individual needs based on the goal. However, I felt like there needs to be some baseline exercise ideas to give for the average physical therapy student, which I don't feel like was really provided much. I think they're improving on it, but given the direction of where physical therapy is going and how much, how often Therex, their activity in neuroread is built, I think it doesn't make sense the how limited there is of the education behind behind exercises. We know mm -hmm. how important exercises are. And the more people I talk to within different curriculums, the more I realize that there's just such a huge lack of exercises uh, with PT schools. Yeah, I mean, I would say the same thing. Why do you think that is? Like, it's, it's, it's crazy because physical therapists, you would assume that it's yeah. extremely exercise based. I know. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that the issue is, and the, the reason why it is like that, in my opinion, is 20 years ago, 30 years ago, like when I look at my mom's generation and, and her colleagues, a lot of what they did was manual based and older clinicians generally, I would say are, are more manual based. I know that this, this always doesn't hold true. And I think the curriculum has been like that, where a lot of the emphasis is on manual and not as much on exercises. However, within the last five, 10 years, we see how important exercise is for pathologies that initially people weren't prescribing exercises for. Um, and like things like, I don't know, just an example, like the Alfredson's protocol, maybe 20 years ago, people would have been like, you're going to load an Achilles tendon. That's, that's not the right thing to do. And then next thing you know, it Alfredson's protocol tries to, it's, their protocol makes it seem like they're trying to tear the Achilles tendon. And next mm -hmm. thing you know, it is, is those individuals got better that loaded. So I think that there just hasn't been a full shift and PT schools are slow to adapt to the newer uh, emerging evidence that's, that's coming out. And I think it's a, a big change when you want to change something within the curriculum. It's, it's not as easy as, Hey, we'll just change this course to this course. And there's, there's a whole system that I'm not familiar with, but I think that it's just because the shift is a little more new in terms of going from more manual to exercises that they're, they're delaying their, their change in curriculum. But I don't know. I, I would, I'm surprised that there is more education than there is. Yeah. I wonder if we're even going towards a shift of just advanced education, you know, because in PT school, it is very general. We have to learn everything, pediatrics, neuro. Yeah. So I wonder, wonder if in the future, like, you're going to see more residencies or, or some stuff of that nature really come out to the point where it's almost like a, a medical doctor going yeah. to a residency. It's just a part of the curriculum. You know, I'd be curious to see if that's going to be a shift in our profession. I think so. I mean, there's definitely, if you look at the numbers, there's on, the numbers of uh, clinical specialists are only increasing. And I know that you can take the test without 
necessarily going to a residency, but the amount of residencies being offered are also increasing. And it's going to be, it's going to definitely be some time before everyone goes into it. But I think soon enough, it may be like that. I think, I think it should, because to really be good at one specific field, you, like you were saying, you kind of have to really focus and hone in on that. You can't like PT school just prepares you to be a general practitioner. It doesn't prepare you to be as best as you can be within a field. That's why a lot of these new grads are looking for some additional mentorship or extra assistance because they don't feel completely confident. And that's why for me, I knew I wanted that clinical experience going into school because that's what was going to get me to be the best clinician I could be. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's totally transitioned to with the whole profession and kind of division 2020, as they, as they say, you know, um, that, that really brings up a, a good point too of, of the DPT. You know, do you, do you have your clients refer to you as doctor or what is your belief system around that? Mm. Good question. So I, I personally don't. I just, I go by a Rosh. The front desk usually at my facility does, they'll, they'll refer to me as uh, Dr. Rosh. And I mean, there are plenty of my colleagues that do go by Dr. So-and-so. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, I, I just go by, go by Rosh. Gotcha. Yeah, I do too. I don't, I don't signify that like, Hey, you have to call me Dr. Joe or whatever, mm-hmm. but I think it's, uh, it's something that like, like for a physician, I don't know, it's a language thing. Like if someone comes in and is like, Oh, my doctor told me this, it, it kind of almost puts, mm-hmm. you know, their opinion above ours, which is something I don't agree with. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think there, I, I believe there's starting to be a transition with respecting physical therapists more. I'm not sure if it's the doctor degree or not. I know the awareness piece is huge, even if the front desk or whoever's picking up the phones just refers to you as doctor once that in itself already lets them know that we've attained some type of doctorate degree. And that may be all that's needed to, to let them know that we've gone through that extra education. However, I think that surgeons and and other physicians are starting to realize our place in and assisting with the rehab process because like for like for example i'm doing a study right now on uh with bfr looking at acl reconstructions and rotator cuff repairs and it was a very i thought the the way we set this up was great because the surgeons are focusing on what they do best, which is the operations, finding out who's the best candidate, doing the operation. And then with the post-op protocol, they let us know what not to do, certain indications and precautions to, to focus on. And then what we focus on is specifically what to do exercise-wise, as long as we stay within those guidelines. And so there's starting mm-hmm. to become a little more clearance on uh, what PTs can do, what the surgeons can do, what physicians can do in terms of the way the medical system is set up and the patient, I feel like it's only a matter of time before they understand, um, okay, well, the physician is not the one that always treats ankle sprains conservatively. So maybe I should listen to my PT versus, um, sometimes I've had people who come in with an Achilles tendinopathy and, and they said, Oh, the physician told me to hold off for eight weeks. And then 
and then I should go see PT afterwards when we we know that that's not the best approach at all. Uh, however, mm-hmm. I feel like in general that's becoming less and less of an issue as people understand what lane they're in, and the patient will soon understand as long as the new. I think the newer physicians are more on board with referring to PT when appropriate versus trying to make all the orthopedic decisions themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. We're hoping that's a shift. Um, You know, I don't know how it is by you guys, but up by us too. It's also very, like there's a big, a lot of corporations up here for physical therapy companies who kind of affects us as well, you know, and that's, it's almost becomes a system like the orthopedic will refer to someone in their system. Um, Yeah which might not necessarily be good either, you know? So yeah, that's just food for thought as a, as a private practice owner, you know, it's definitely a, an interesting thing to see. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are people that they're going to keep in house, but there are so many people that need physical therapy. And if you, I mean, from, from what I, I don't run a private practice, but from what I know, the more you can get the the fitness enthusiast, the average Joe, the, the person that's just injured, to build awareness that iron health is around the more people will, will come into the door and understand that you guys can provide a service versus simply relying on, on physicians for referrals. Absolutely. So you're, you're talking about, you're doing a study right now. So kind of, what do you, what's your goal with that? Are you kind of doing that consistently or is that just something you're doing for BFR? BF, BFR. So it's, it's more of a side thing. We're not actually working with individuals going through it. And obviously everything's on a hiatus because of COVID-19. Um, the, the idea is to showcase BFR in a pre using, using BFR protocols preoperatively for rotator cuff repairs and, and ACL reconstructions and also post-operatively for uh, ACL reconstructions and then the rotator cuff repairs, primarily looking at small to medium tears in which we, we've got a, a couple of our um, colleagues, uh, surgeons out of Henry Ford that, are, that we've teamed up with. And so Mike Craig and I are, are focusing on the protocols using BFR um, and then they're helping us with finding the candidates operating on them. And then they're going through physical therapy out there in Detroit. That's awesome. Where, where are you doing BFR for the rotator cuff? You're putting it on their upper arm? Yeah, so same same spot as, as usual. Like you, The lower body is always going to be the same spot. Upper body is always going to be the same spot. But there are some proximal effects that we do see with BFR use. And there are also systemic effects that we see with BFR use. Uh, there's also some crosstalk, but that's not as much of what we're focusing on with, with the study. So just because the, the cuff is distal to the target area doesn't mean that we don't see any change there. We do see mm-hmm. there are proximal changes and then there are a few studies to showcase that, which is kind of cool. But uh, the ACL one, there have been a few studies that have already showcased how beneficial BFR use is. But the rotator cuff, I haven't seen any studies that are published at this point. Um, I know a few that are currently being done as well, but uh, it'll be cool to see if there are any changes and what changes those are using BFR, both pre and post-op. That's, that's awesome. That's like a, that's a cool avenue to, to kind of dive into it. And that's really like, that could be a podcast on its own, right? Like BFR, I'm sure is a big, 
kind of that's probably like your baby right you're trying to oh yeah there's so much that goes behind bfr in itself i mean there's a a full 10 hour course that we we taught at your your clinic so it's it's uh and that's that's just trying to condense a lot of the stuff that's already out there there's so much content on bfr especially within the last two three years we start to see a shift even within the performance setting which is kind of cool but um, historically bfr has been thought of as a tool to help with rehab which is probably where the evidence is the strongest right now but yeah there's mm-hmm. so much that goes behind bfr that could easily be a whole other podcast <laughs> that's cool all right well i think we should start to dive into kind of um the prehab guys and i'm curious to see how you guys got your start there why did you start that and what was really your initial kind of snowball effect and to where it is now so we started second year in physical therapy school the purpose behind starting our platform was really driven out of the poor information that is circulating the internet Um, and we wanted to make sure that people were getting better high quality evidence-based information looking Mm -hmm. at social media looking at different articles that we've seen I don't know if they were just all outdated or if there was just people talking about topics they were not credible of talking about, which would be uh, a false positive. These, these things were just too, there was too much of this online and we wanted to clean up the internet by really putting matters into our own hands. And we were just students at that point. We really focused on trying to stay as evidence-based as possible and, I think it helped drive us to stay on top of the newer research that was coming out as well. And really at first, what we focused on is just information or topics, content that we were interested in ourselves. And from that, we figured if we're interested in learning more about these topics, I'm sure other people are going to be interested as well. And so we just put it out there on social, uh, eventually created a website Uh, Mike actually had his own website even prior to all this, Um, but all three of us had a pretty good entrepreneurial spirit. So we, we were all on board here. And in terms of the prehab aspect itself, we started seeing a shift and not all clinics were shifting like this, but we wanted to make PTB more than just rehab. Because you rehab someone, okay, good, you're at, they're out of pain. That doesn't mean that they should be discharged. We wanted to take it a step further and kind of create the standard of care and making sure people went through a little bit of re- prehab as well, where they're maximizing their potential and mit- mitigating risk of future injuries. So we wanted to really educate the public on what prehab really is. So prehab can be used in so many different terms or in, in, in many different contexts, but uh, we think of it as... Um, not only before surgery, which is historically what prehab has been known for is like your, you tear your ACL, you do a little prehab, do some exercises prior to your operation. However, we wanted to take a step further and educate the public on prehab being a proactive approach on how to take care of your physical health via exercises before the injury actually occurs, or even catching a minor ache or discomfort prior to become prior to it becoming a much larger uh, dysfunction in, in your, in your life. So that's kind of the, where the, the birth of the prehab guys came from. And from there, we've 
really been able to push out more and more content. I mean, we, we have so much content right now. We have an exercise library, which a lot of clinicians like because it's basically a HEP platform. You find any of our thousands of exercises based on tags, the search bar, you can create pro, uh, playlists or programs and then send it out with specific parameters. And then um, the individual gets it and it's HIPAA compliant. And, and um, a lot of clinicians like that platform for that reason. But uh, so to answer your, your follow-up question with the snowball effect, I wouldn't say that there was necessarily one thing that really pushed us um, to, to growing. It was more of a, a slowly consistent growth that happened over a few years. It was basically, th there was no one day where our, our platform just all of a sudden gained a thousand or hundreds of thousands of followers or uh, there was no magic pill for us. It was really just a matter of staying consistent, constantly tweaking what information we put out based on what we were interested in, what we thought other people were interested in and, um, and staying consistent with it for, what is it? Almost, it's been four and a half years now. And we've been posting, oh, wow. posting daily. Yeah. That's awesome. Who Who's your ideal client when you kind of structure this stuff? Like who are you looking to help? Um, it's, Cause it's, yeah. yeah. So the target audience is the average person that's not professional. However, we've gained a lot of traffic and attention from the clinician. So our goal is never to, actually educate the clinician. However, what happened is because there's such a lack of information within PT school in, in terms of in terms of exercise prescription, our platform has become pretty popular with PTs, ATs, even like chiros, massage therapists, strength coaches, just because it's, uh, it gives people exercise ideas. And also the platform is pretty easy to use because you can create and send programs um, using our exercise library. But I think um, the initial goal and the goal has always largely been just to target the average um, person, not necessarily the professional, the person that has a, an ankle injury or the person that just wants to make sure that their shoulder strong, they have a history of shoulder discomfort or the person that sits all day and doesn't know what to do about their posture. Um, all these things are, are people people we're trying to target with our education. Um, and it really, it really can be for, for anyone, but it's, it's not really geared for the clinician. Gotcha. That's awesome, man. You guys are like kind of front running that because, you know, there is this shift of PTs becoming kind of the authority in this field of understanding, not just, Hey, you're in pain, manage this, but here's this kind of program to make sure it doesn't happen. You know, you're taking a pro proactive approach, which is fantastic. Yeah. And our job is not to, we're, we're trying to bring awareness to physical health and orthopedic issues and let, let people know that there's a lot of things you can do prior to the onset of an injury. It's very hard to sell someone to address something prior to it becoming an issue. But if you just do a little bit each day, that's really what we're trying to preach a little bit of movement. Make sure that you can you can uh, here here are some tips and tricks to maximize um, your your squat or your bench press or whatever it may be. But we're trying to just let people know uh, on ways that they can really take matters into their own hands and feel like they're in control of their health versus 
trying to go through all these healthcare loops. And our job is not to replace in-person physical therapy by any means. We're not trying to create rehab programs online. It's more of a proactive approach that we're trying to preach for individuals. So I feel like people are starting to, starting to take matters a little more into their own hands nowadays. Uh, but there's Mm -hmm. a lot of room for improvement still. Yeah, absolutely. What is your guys like future plans for the prehab guys? Um, just to keep creating different, different programs for individual needs that people have. Like we've got a few things in the works, um, but it's, it's really, so if you're looking for ankle mobility or hip mobility or shoulder strength, whatever it is that you're looking for, ideally we have a, a program designed um, to, to maximize whatever it is that you're, you're looking for. And that's for the, and that's for the average fitness enthusiast. Um, for the exercise library, it's continue to just keep putting exercises out. We have um, we have a request button actually, where clinicians constantly are letting us know different exercises they want us to upload. So we film once a week and uh, really really put as much effort as we can to keeping that exercise library as relevant as possible. There's so many different exercises that that we weren't even aware of, but people like to prescribe. So. We try to film it to make Mm -hmm. it as comprehensive of a platform as possible. That's awesome. That's really cool. That's probably like, you guys probably really weren't ready for that to happen where the clinicians came in, but that's, that could be something to really look into, man. Yeah. As you guys grow. Yeah. I mean, people people have been loving it. Uh, It was never our, our goal, but after hearing about so many clinicians who send our links and YouTube videos to their patients and clients. We just listened and realized there's a need for this. And a lot of the other HEP platforms don't really have a good blend of high level with low level exercises. And even if they do, it's very uh, basic in terms of the explanation each video has. We, we go into a lot of depth with each exercise and movement to make sure that people understand how to do it, where they should be feeling it and common compensations to avoid with every single movement. So that way they can master it. And it's kind of dummy proof. That's great. What about in the clinic? What do you think the future of PT is in the clinic? Yeah. Um, I think that I am like what I'd like and what I'd hope that the future of PT is, is heading towards is becoming more of a physical health advisor where people just have their physical therapists that they know. Like, it's just kind of like their physician when people say, Hey, I, this is my doctor that I go to. Um, they have the same, the same approach to physical therapy where they know if there's any ache or discomfort, everyone has their, their local PT um, uh, on their, on their phone. So that going off of that, I think that PTs can, eventually become this proactive approach where uh, people come in on like an annual checkup or even biannually to make sure that what they're doing is appropriate in terms of exercises and exercise volume and, and um, progressing their, their loads and making sure that the PT is really managing their physical health. And so that's, that's where I'd like PT to go. I'm not really sure how things are, how things would work out with insurance on a proactive approach. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think, I think that's where it's going. And that way, like a lot of my patients, I don't really see as frequent as many people do. Like I like to 
keep a lot of my patients on the schedule for even like once a, once a month, maybe two times a month, just to make sure that they're moving the right direction, uh, even though they're fully on their own. And that way it allows for us to, to keep moving forward, keeps accountability on their end, but also uh, make sure that I'm aware of what they're doing and I can keep managing their, their load and making sure they're moving the right direction with everything. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And, and it's probably going to be a future and hopefully, you know, where people are taking that approach to, to come in for checkups, you know, that checkup kind of program is important. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. For anyone out there, like, you know, listening, what would you say is some big factors or big takeaways to kind of, let's say, let's talk with people who are in pain. Like what are some mindset things that they should understand as they go through a process of rehab? Listen to your physical therapist. That, that's number one. <laughs> um, I say that what a lot of people in pain think, especially when the pain is chronic, is you don't have to live like that forever. People think, oh, this is just the pain that I'm going to have to keep. It's not like that. It doesn't have to be like that. You can change it. See someone that, that's skilled. It's It definitely shouldn't be like that because there's a huge neurological uh, component to every pain. So uh, even even just seeing a provider in itself, that reinforcement, um, that confidence that a physical therapist can instill is very valuable. It doesn't have to be like that. Stay moving, stay active. Don't let your pain control you. You need to control your pain. And so I think that the PT can do a great job of allowing you to better manage how you feel um, and make sure that you're constantly moving in the right direction. I like to be objective with everything, seeing how much load someone's put their body through on a weekly basis should only be increasing. So making sure that you're objectively tracking that I use, I mean, I go crazy with measuring even my heart rate variability and resting heart rate and, and all that stuff to see how I'm recovering from a neurological standpoint as well. But you don't need to go mm. crazy with that. But even if you're just managing load and making sure your body's feeling better or you're feeling the same with doing more work, um, you're, you're heading in the right direction. Awesome. All right, Ross, thank you so much for this. Um, before we go, though, uh, how can people find out more about you and Prehab Guys and yeah. stuff like that? So um, my the Prehab Guys is... I mean, we're basically on all platforms, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok. We have our own podcast, The Prehab Audio Experience. Our website is theprehabguys.com or prehabguys.com. That's where you can see our exercise library. If you're looking to prescribe exercises uh, for your patients and clients, that's a great spot to look at. If you're looking for creating pro or going through a program or a protocol that we've developed ourselves. Our pro programs are all also on our website at prehabguys.com. Awesome. Thanks again for really. I appreciate it. Yeah. This. Thank you for having me on Joe. That was cool.